Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. Mardi Gras 2022 may just be the year of the king cake. At least on Louisiana Eats it is. If you tuned in a few weeks ago, you heard our first episode entirely devoted to the topic. This week, we're going back for seconds. We begin with Patrick Bordnick and his king cake raiding dogs. Yes, there is such a thing as two paws up. Then we hear more on the topic from Matt Haynes, author of The Big Book of King Cake. Personally, I think he's responsible for part of this year's king cake craze. His weighty tome is changing the way we look at king cakes and the folks who bake them. And we'll meet my favorite king cake baker, Dominique Rizzo of Celtica Bakery. His authentic French galette de roi is a game changer. So brew some coffee or break out the champagne. It's king cake time once again on this week's Louisiana Eats. Patrick Bordnick is Dean of the Tulane School of Social Work in New Orleans. As part of his position, Patrick studies topics like substance abuse and mental health. But when it's king cake season, you'll find the behavioral scientist focused on a very different field of research, namely king cakes. Nearly every day from Twelfth Night to Mardi Gras, and sometimes twice a day, Patrick opens a brand new king cake box and samples what's inside. He then rates each cake on a scale of one to five, factoring in quality, flavor, and freshness, and posts his conclusions on Instagram. In a typical year, Patrick taste tests an average of 50 different king cakes. Sounds like a tough job, I know. But the good professor is not alone in his research. He works closely with three assistants, eager to share their expertise. Here's Patrick reading a post he wrote in January, reviewing a king cake from Maurice French Pastries. Stella and the little jackals, that would be Herman and Gigi, are now circling whenever I get home with a new cake. Gotta love Pavlovian conditioning. Stella loved the cake and the Chantilly cream, and rates the cake four out of five. Four out of five paws. Four out of five paws. you got to have paws. <laughs> the paw rating's pretty good. Yeah. Herman could not figure out what to eat first, and Gigi swapped in and ate it. Gigi gives her piece and Herman's piece four paws as well. Patrick gave the cake 4.5 of five, just higher than his three king cake rating dogs or two of them anyway. 
Herman didn't get a piece and everyone was, oh, I feel so bad for Herman. Believe me, with 50 king cakes, Herman is going to get his due coming up and probably take something from Gigi. So I'm creating monsters, I think, as this progresses. Patrick talked to us about his king cake obsession and how it led to this collaboration with his canine companions. So again, this is this sounds like a New Orleans story that I just could make up, but it's true. So I'm, I'm not a huge sweet eater, believe it or not. I like something that's really good. If it, it has to be really good and well-made for me to eat it. And so uh, one day during king cake season, I brought a king cake home. And we used to have a Great Dane called Olive. 140 pounds, gigantic Scooby-Doo. And I was sitting, cutting a piece, as we all do, because you have to have the knife in the box. I actually have two knives in the box. So I don't <laughs> want to start a controversy, but you have to have, you, you need the tool for what you need. And so Olive's just sitting there patiently, and she would never go on the counters. She would never do anything. And she was just sitting there staring at me with these big Great Dane eyes. And I looked, and I said, do you want a piece of king cake? And she just kind of looked up at me. I handed it to her, and she would never aggressive. She just opened her mouth and took it and walked away. And I just burst out laughing. And my wife, Allison's sitting there, and she goes, the dog likes king cake. I said, well, how do you not, right? So I sit there. So it just kind of started, and then I thought, this would be bizarre. Why don't I start posting a review, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, and then give Olive's review. Of king cakes. Yeah. Strangely enough, everyone thinks, well, the dog will eat anything. Not when it comes to king cakes. They're very particular. I laugh because I'll if, if I don't like one, there may be something that's not right or whatever. The dogs usually concur. It's very interesting. And so I've seen them take pieces out into the yard and just drop it. And I thought, what are they doing? And then I walk out there and I step on a piece of king cake. Olive passed um, about a couple years ago. So I wanted to carry on the tradition because people during, we lead up to January and people start saying, are you going to do your reviews? You're going to do your reviews. I'm like, oh, why not? So now I've got Stella, Gigi, and Herman, our three other dogs that do it. And they're the same way. Like Stella will take a piece and drop it or she'll turn around and give me a look like I'm not eating that. And so I really start with, you know, it is, it is funny because people keep saying, well, dogs will eat anything. And I said, I've tried. And they literally are on target with some of their reviews. Um, sometimes they like a little sweeter things, but if it's overly cinnamon or bitter or anything that's not right, they just have a vibe. I can't explain. It's a New Orleans thing. I don't know what to say. What are the breeds of these dogs or who, who's in the pack? So I've got Stella, who's a, a pit bull mix rescue. We've got Gigi, who's the only planned pregnancy. She's a Shih Tzu. Um, and then we got Herman, another sort of rescue from a family member who's a Havanese. Do they all agree generally, or do you sometimes have one dissenting vote on a king cake judging? I'm going to say it's the Shih Tzu Gigi. Gigi will eat just about anything. I don't think her palate is as refined as the other. I can't believe I just said that, but really, <laughs> she will eat anything. And I, when I refer to her sometimes as the Velociraptor T-Rex Shih Tzu, if you have a Shih Tzu, you know I've had my fingers nipped. She's not trying to be aggressive, but she loves and she'll dance. She's fallen, you know, done backflips. You know, it's very funny. She tries to fight now with the other dogs to get their peace. So we have to be mindful. Oh, yikes. But it, it's literally, I laugh about Pavlovian conditioning. That gets back to my behavioral science roots. They hear me. They see the box when I come in. And even when I say the word king cake, they're conditioned because they know what's happening. So that's my little spin on it for science. So it's just kind of funny. 
before you even began the review, what was your average king cake consumption seasonally like? Oh, I don't know. Probably maybe five throughout the season, just here or there. You know, just occasionally you go and say, I'll take this. I'll t-. I really didn't think much about it. And where has this obsession led you? This year, I'll get up to probably over 50. It'll be the first year I'm over 50. So tell me how a review is developed. So I kind of start with a review. I like to you know, try to create a theme each year of something and find king cakes that no one else has heard of, maybe smaller bakeries, some you know places. And then I rate some of the you know traditional ones that we think about because everyone wants to know what's going on. And, and they're always consistent and always good. And so you just kind of go on. And then I find ones that are unique or different. This year I've started discount king cakes. Now, I, I'm taking some heat from it. However, not everyone can go and spend 35 or 45 or I've spent $80 on a king cake, but we're not going to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> and so I try to get some. So I'm looking for people that, you know, under $10. And there's some decent ones. What do you recommend? Um, actually, it's very strange is Winn-Dixie and Bromart has two that are not gourmet, but they're solid. You know, I mean, they taste good. The dough's cooked well. The icing's not overly sweet. They're just a plain king cake. That, what's the price range? Um, usually, Winn-Dixie has won $5 this year, and Bromart has around 10 to 12 And then if they stuff them, a little bit more. But you asked about, how do I go about doing it? And people say, well, how do you eat so many king cakes? And, and, you know, I, well, I run, but I said, I really don't just eat piece after piece. I take a piece out. I separate all the pieces. I try each and every flavor. And then I try them all together because, as we know, a really good chef or pastry chef, it's the combination of the flavors, which is tough to get. But also I like to talk to people and say, well, I really love the cream cheese, but not this or something like that. So I really take the time to do this. And it, it It's just fun. So I really have developed my reviews over the years and disagree with a lot of popular things that people are now IMing me and saying, I agree with you in silence. Because, (laughs) But I always want to remember that chefs can have a bad day. Something can happen. It happens, right? So I try not to ever be cruel or anything in the reviews and say, you know, maybe they had an off week. I've had better ones from them or this variety. So I try to bring it around that it's not out to, to create havoc for somebody. It's really to talk about it. But if somebody's not good three years in a row, they're getting it because that's just not right. And I don't, I will never have two or three of them again. Exactly. (laughs) You just can't. And I'm not going to ask you about those, but what's your favorite so far? Oh man. Okay. So I tried to do categories and I will give you two and one Nolita. This is a, just a plain king cake satsuma essence. I took it home and cut it. And it was the first king cake I wanted to just eat the way it was. And then there's a little sign said you could warm it for 10 to 15 seconds, which I never do. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to try it this time. It was even better. And more importantly, two days later, it was sitting on the counter and I'm smelling satsuma. And I'm like, what do we do? We get satsumas. And I open up the box. It is as if I just bought it. It had the the plastic bag on it. And I cut into it, and the satsuma essence and everything just developed even more. Literally, I sat there with a piece of it and got a really nice bourbon. And it was like this king cake bourbon mix. And I'm like, 
I live in New Orleans, right? You know, you kind of do that. You live in New Orleans where some people would have that bourbon and king cake for breakfast. And, of course, that beautiful king cake is from our friend Martha Gilreath. And she just rocks the king cake world in my book, too. So what's number two? Number two is a filled king cake. And this is one that I happened upon last year. It's Maurice's French Bakery in Metairie. And actually, Allison found it. And it's their Ponchatoula strawberry. And yeah, I, fillings go back and forth. And so my daughter just uh, was having a 17th birthday. So Allison goes, well, I think I'm going to order the large. So if you check my Instagram, you'll see this thing came, I think it was two and a half, three feet across. It must have been eight inches thick and probably six inches wide. Beautiful brioche, Chantilly cream an almost vanilla pudding on the bottom. <laughs> and you look at it and you say, this has got to be just cloyingly sweet. I can't eat it. It's not. It's real whipped cream. It's developed. The chef there knows the flavors, knows what to combine. The brioche had a nice crunch on the outside. Just, I literally ate probably a four and a half inch piece. And that was my dinner. Because <laughs> um, I wasn't, and then I went and ran five miles. That Later that evening, I'll just confess. Well, Patrick, I must say, you are my kind of New Orleanian. Thanks so much for coming to see us. Thank you. This has been such a joy, and I can check it off my bucket list. Dog lover and king cake obsessive, Patrick Bordnick. For his day job, Patrick works as dean of the Tulane School of Social Work. You can find his king cake reviews and some adorable dog photos on Instagram. His handle is B-O-R-D-N-I-C-K. And don't miss Patrick's Uptown New Orleans house float at 2040 Milan Street. Let's just say it's very Raven-centric. The official title, Corvid 19 Mardi Gras. That's C-O-R-V-I-D, not COVID. I'll give you a hint. It's a reference to a variety of bird that also includes crows and magpies. Get it? And if you like Patrick's house float, he's accepting donations for one of his favorite charities, one that helps make Mardi Gras possible, Roots of Music. Learn more about them at the Roots of Music Coming up next, we learn about some innovative bakers who have changed the king cake game here in the Bayou State. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Camellia Brand, 
beans done right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. Now inviting you to become a member of the Camellia brand crew with their new box subscription program. Shipped quarterly to your door with up to 10 surprise ingredients inside, it's like having a Mardi Gras parade through your kitchen all year long. To learn how to join the Camellia Brand crew, visit CamelliaBrand.com. Support also comes from Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways. Rouse's Markets tastes like home. And from Crystal Hot Sauce, made with three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce, how New Orleans does flavor. If you tuned into Louisiana Eats three weeks ago, you heard the first part of our conversation with Matt Haynes, author of The Big Book of King Cake, the definitive Bible on the sweet carnival tradition. Matt spoke with us about how he came to write his new book and how he traced the origins of king cake back into Europe's past. This week, we delve into the more recent history of the king cake. For most of the 20th century, it was a simple brioche-style pastry, the kind you could buy at McKenzie's Bakery chain from the 1930s until 2000. Today, there are countless varieties of styles to choose from. Matt gave us insight into this king cake evolution and the Louisiana bakers behind each innovation. Matt, now that you have been so immersed for so long in king cake, mm-hmm. Who do you believe filled the first king cake? Filled the first king cake. Okay. Yeah. It's a tricky question. And so, okay, I, I'll start by saying it's going to be a cop out, but I'll start by saying <clears throat> nobody can know for sure. But a lot of signs seem to point to maybe Cart- what's now Cartoza's Bakery. Um, they had a different bakery at the time, but it's uh, An- uh, Angelo Cartoza. Um, he says that he first did it in, I think, 1982 or 83. Mm-hmm. But when I was talking to Nana Randazzo's, um, they were trying to figure it out, and they said they had family members who were putting cream cheese in king cake in the 1970s. So I haven't seen that myself, but I, I think that's the way that they remember it, at least. So, you know, who knows for sure. I think what we know for sure is that sometime around that time, probably early 80s, potentially late 70s, is when king cake started to be filled with things other than just uh, cinnamon. So what's unique about the high dough bakery? There are bakeries now that make cakes that are a nod back to um, to McKenzie's, you know, and so a McKenzie's king cake would have no icing and would have just the three colors of sugar, and that's really it. Now, Haido is probably the closest thing to that. That's the king cake they normally make. They said they did it because to them, like, their taste, you know, it's a Vietnamese family who owns the bakery, and their story is so interesting. I don't want to say it's a similar story to Dong Phong, but there are some similarities where they both, after the Vietnam War, both uh, patriarchs, of the families had fought in the war and decided it'd be safer if they left. And so they both found themselves in New Orleans. In the case of Haido Bakery, the father made it to New Orleans and the family was still in Vietnam and he was able to save enough money and get sponsorship for them to come over here. And then, you know, by the time they got over there, here their dad had already started this bakery that they were able to help out with. And, and in Terrytown, where they exist, they're such a staple there. 
Um, it's amazing to walk in there on a morning and see like so many people line out the door, it seems like every day. That's so exciting. It just, and it's so wonderful to see good hard work and folks make good. Yeah, and I think that's, um, I think that's a big part of um, the King Cake story today in New Orleans. It's like, if you look at Norma's Sweets Bakery, why do we have a guava cream cheese king cake? It's because um, Hondurans came to New Orleans and guava and cream cheese was something that Latin American countries tend to have in their pastries. And so when you're trying, they've been here for several generations, why not start a king cake? We've got a bakery. And so let's do one that fits our tastes. Well, you took us out of town to all sorts of places. Um, I'd never heard of Ricky Mesh's Donut King in Lafayette. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. I I think that uh, there'll be a lot of people who would try that and say, that is not a traditional king cake. That can't be called king cake. How come? Um, I think that because the dough is so much like a donut, uh, which I think is delicious, um, you know, but also, hey, listen, it's got the shape of a king cake. It's got these beautiful, vibrant colors of a king cake. Um, they do fillings like a king cake. So, you know, why not? And uh, it's it's messy, but it's delicious. There seems to be a common denominator in donut shops like Joe's Cafe. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of king cakes to be found in donut shops, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, I guess at this point, why wouldn't you? Because they're such a, uh, you know, they're going to be such a boon to your business. There are a lot of places that say that fillings to king cakes began because donut shops were basically, hey, let's just take fillings that you'll find in donuts or danishes. So it's Mm. also a pretty good translation from one to the other, I think. I was fascinated that, again, a donut shop, Little J's Donuts and More, Mm -hmm. and their colored dough. Nobody's ever thought of that before, and that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, and it's so beautiful to look at, and he keeps laughing. He's saying, like, for this is this draws people in. He's like, they cannot get enough of this colored dough. Um, and his story is also so interesting. He's got this donut shop in, in Harahan, and, uh, which is where he grew up. And uh, he was, had worked for a bunch of other donut shops for decades and was having a kid and was like, you know, I want to have something that I could, he's kind of a partier, he said. And, but now when he's having a kid, he wanted to have something that he could pass down to his, his child. And so he thought, okay, maybe I should stop working for other people. Maybe I should take my own recipe and I should create my own donut shop. And he worked really hard with Jefferson Parish to get loans uh, to be able to open a shop. And it is like, it seemed very popular. I, when I went there, there were the same. He's like, oh, these 10 people are here every single morning, uh, just hanging out, eating donuts. And uh, his dad works there. He's there. His son's off in there. They're all got J's. He says, one day I hope that my son's going to have a kid. Maybe he'll name him some J name, and then it'll just get passed down that way. That is just adorable. Um, Continuously, I would turn the page, and I would be surprised by something else I saw in one of your beautiful pictures or read. And one of them, um, the Whitaker effect. Mm -hmm. It's a food truck. And they fry their king cakes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the Whitakers, it's a family. It's their last name is the Whitakers. And uh, uh, the daughter, April, she lives in Dallas right now. But her mom during the pandemic decided, hey, people are having a tough time. Kind of restaurants are closed. Where are they getting their food right now? Maybe they don't cook for themselves. I'm going to try to do that. And so at first, the mom was uh, uh, going from uh place to place, uh, just delivering food. And then she realized, oh, well, we've got some of this pandemic money. Let's buy a, a, a truck and try to invest that way. And so they started their own food truck. And it's a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, the mother, Karen, she's called the queen of soul food, I think. And then you've got the daughter, 
uh, April, who uh, is a baker, and she's got another daughter who is uh, makes cocktails. And so they all decided to work together on this food truck and come carnival season, April's got brings her king cakes in. And uh, yeah, it's a hit. They're often outside Gasa Gasa. Well, right along with the controversy of who really filled the first king cake, mm-hmm. so who really invented the Boudin king cake? Okay, so it's a tricky story, and uh, I, I mean, I spent a long time talking to uh, Twins uh, Burgers and Sweets in Lafayette, and everything I can find points to them. They're a bakery slash burger shop in Lafayette, Louisiana. It's twins, uh, these two twins, and uh, they have their own sweet king cake. Okay, now, independent of them, there is uh, University of Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh-huh. Or University of Louisiana Lafayette is right down the street, and so there's a history professor there. Um, who goes by, uh, I think he's sometimes called Dr. Boudin. He's got a, a whole Boudin site. He is, uh, 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 puts Boudin recipes on his blog regularly, has a huge following, and one day he created this idea for a Boudin king cake with cracklins on top. And uh, he said that, um, he was like, oh, here's the recipe. In, you know, Use it if you want, enjoy. And then very quickly people are like, how can I get one of these? He thought it was going to be like just a few of them. He went on the local news. They asked him the same question. He's like, well, just ask me. I'll make you a few. No big deal very quickly, instead of 10, it was thousands of people wanting this king cake, and he started to panic, and he even told the story of uh, one woman in Los Angeles saw it and was like, I need five of them, how much? And he, at this point, was so overwhelmed, he's like, listen, I can't make all these, like, it's going to end up costing you, like, thousands of dollars. And she was like, that is such a ripoff. Okay, can you get them to me? He's like, well, you're going to pay thousands of dollars for each of these? And so he realized this is not sustainable, and he did not want to do this. And so he walked over down the street to Twins Burgers and Sweets and asked them if they wanted to do it. And they at first were like, oh, who is this crazy guy talking? We've got our own king cakes to deal with. And he convinced them, listen, let just make one batch, see how it goes. And so they did. I think maybe they had a couple of dozen, and they went immediately. And so then they made some more, and they could not make enough. They ended up in like a few, like a couple of weeks making thousands, and they were all sold immediately. It's a delicious idea. It is so good. Yeah. And, and it is so good. What are you looking forward to the most this king cake season? I think um, every year. There are new king cakes um, and new bakers who are making new king cakes. So I'm excited to see the new king cakes people make and see the new bakeries that are making king cakes. Uh, And I'm excited just to, I think uh, every year people, New Orleanians seem to get more and more excited about these traditions that stretch back thousands and thousands of years. And I think that's so amazing. And so talking to people about that, I think is gonna be a lot of fun. Matt, thank you so much for the book and for bringing these great tales to us. It was very much my pleasure, and thank you for having me on the show to talk about it. Matt Haynes, author of The Big Book of King Cake. If you missed our conversation with Matt from our first King Cake episode, you'll find that and all previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com. What is a galette de roi, and how do you make one? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back.
I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, breadings, boils, new air fry mixes, and more classic Louisiana dishes available everywhere. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, located 40 minutes north of New Orleans French Quarter along the shores of Lake Pontchartrain. The delicious Tammany taste culinary scene and an abundance of soft adventure attractions are among the many reasons to love the North Shore's charming communities. Find details on upcoming events, itinerary suggestions, and more at louisiananorthshore.com. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. What is a galette de roi, and how do you make one? Well, to begin, de roi translates from the French as of the king. Galette is a bit more complicated. Galette is typically described as a flat, round tart, much like a free-form pie. The crust ranges from a short pie crust to a yeast dough or even an unleavened dough, creating a very rustic-style open-faced tart. But the galette de roi is an entirely different affair. Beautiful, buttery, flaky puff pastry is used to make the French king cake, which is usually filled with almond paste or frangipani and fully enclosed with concentric swirls decoratively cut into the top. You can make your own, thanks to the wide availability of grocery store frozen puff pastry, but trust me, you've never lived until you taste the galette du roi Dominique Rizzo makes at his bakery, Celtica. Now let's meet the man who makes all that deliciousness possible. Hello, I'm Dominique Rizzo. I'm a chef owner of Celtica French Bakery in Lakeview. Dominique Rizzo is an absolute magician in the bakery. The French-born chef has been a presence in New Orleans for decades, first with his bakery in Uptown called La Boulangerie, and now with Celtica in Lakeview. Using only French butter, Dominique creates some of the most delicious pastry I've ever tasted on this side of the Atlantic. I must confess to having a serious issue with his opera cake. I'm obsessed with it. (sighs) Now I'm sure you'll beat me to the last piece at the bakery, and that's probably a good thing. Dominique and I sat down in the studio for a freewheeling conversation covering everything from his deep love of baking, the importance of its traditions, and, of course, king cake. Dominique, 
tell me about how you first came to be a baker. Where are you from, and what are you doing here in New Orleans? Oh, it's been it's been a long story to start. You know, yeah, uh, it's come from my childhood. As a child, we go home. We have no snack. There's no cookies. There's no orange juice. So what you have to do is bake your own oh. pastry. And my mom always had flour, eggs, butter, milk, cooking book. So we love the cooking book. We love what we can make for snack. And we make our snack. That's how it starts. So then you went to cooking school. Yeah, so at 15 years old, I went to cooking school because I, I want to make money. I want, I, want, I want to be successful. So I went to cooking school at 15 years old for cooking, to be a chef. And after I was 17, I got my diploma. I was too young to be in the, on the field. You know, in France, you have to be 18 to get full salary. So I went pastry chef and chef for in three years, two diplomas, yeah. What year do you come to New Orleans? Ah, uh, we come in 99. In 1999. Yeah, end of 99, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you look around New Orleans and you say, there isn't a bakery here. No, there was, but, you know, it was like missing something, you know. Baking is tough, huh? Bakery is tough job. To find people baking in the morning, you know, the process every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, you know, bread. You know, you, you, you're working with a life, you know, bread is alive, croissant is alive, there's bacteria, it's alive. So you have to be careful. You cannot, like, just wait, leave a steak in the cooler for, you know, for an hour. It just doesn't work like that. You have to be, it's a bit timing, you know. Tell me a little bit about what the baguette means to you. And I'd like to hear your baguette philosophy, because I think you've got some. The baguette in France for us is like is like the daily daily donut. <laughs> I will say, you know, we need to get a baguette for lunch, dinner, no matter what, and for snack. So, as a child, we just bakeries like every day. It's a, it's a routine, you know. You go for the morning, you go in the afternoon, you know. Get, my dad sent me to get a baguette. I get two baguettes from you know from the four p.m. baking, you know, so fresh, so hot. I get home, there's only one left because I had the whole baguette on my way. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the bakery, get one more baguette. <laughs> oh, the bread is like, it's like, my God, it's like God. Yeah, <laughs> it's everything. The, oh, it has to be on the table. So, you know, grow up like that, you just, yeah, you, have to, you respect the bread, you know, you respect the bread. I think that you are actually the person who introduced the true French king cake to New Orleans. Am I correct? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. No one else was making them mm. before you, huh? You need to bring people to try new things, you know? Because, like you say, if you're croissant, people eat donuts every day. You, you bring them croissant, they eat croissant. They're going to change their mind, you know? Because, you know, it's good. It's less sweet. And, you know, so for me to bring the French cake, for me, it was less sweet. And more f- I'm more like in flavor of food, you know? I like, I like when you eat croissant, you taste the butter, you know? You need yeah. coffee, you drink the you know, you don't taste the milk, you want drink coffee, you know, just everything you eat, it have to be the right flavor. So for me, the king cake, we put marzipan, you know, cream. So with yes. almond flour, butter, sugar, eggs, pastry cream, rum. So all these ingredients together. It's you know. very simple. Yeah, it's it is so simple, beautiful. but it's just the rum puts the almond flavor out. So it's like, it's very good. In is France, it? we do we do king cake season, you know, we have king cake season too, but it's only... It's only for one day. Well, they start after Christmas until the, you know, the 12th night, but you just take 12 days, that's it. You know, it's a six, generally it's a six, it's a, it's a big, big day, but. So you eat king cake, or you all get to eat your king cake early. 
But me, I, uh, I was born on January 7th, so my yeah. birthday cake was king cake. So I love king cake. So awesome. It was not my, my birthday cake. <laughs> I talked to my sous chef the other day. I said, oh, you know what? I always like try to fix the almond cream better because my almond cream, because I never find the, the right flavor I get from a kid, you know? I don't know what it is. So I changed different rum. I should, you know, try to uh, add more almond flour. You know, try to adjust the recipe to. to have you got it now? No, yet. I'm I'm close. Isn't I'm, it yeah. funny chasing a taste memory from yeah, childhood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you get. That's what you get from you. Yeah. So, so every year I I try king cake. I said, ah, oh, well, I can do something. It's almost there. I get there. <laughs> I get there. And now you make it year round, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, year round. Yeah. Because it's perfect. Because it's yeah. a perfect, delicious dessert. Yeah, that was my my, my girlfriend' idea to say, let do around year round. Why only one? Yeah, we are. So you just mu- they the king cakes must be flying out of. Oh anymore. yeah, we can keep up. I can keep up. I know. We cannot produce more than we can. We cannot. That's that's the way it is, you know. Yeah, the bakery we, the cannot. Kitchen, the kitchen is, is tiny. We make bread. We have all these. We make croissants. All this process we have to respect, you know, and the sandwiches and all this quiche. And we only five people in the kitchen. That's all that fits. Yeah, it's just you know, but I do. I'm here all the time, so I help a lot. But you know, I need to find more people so I can yeah let let go a little bit because I want that you know more f- be with the customer too. You know, I would like to talk to the customer and, and bring more you know creativity and you know our job. You have to love it. You have to love to bake. You have to love to cook. You have to love to make cakes. It's love. It's not like you know just for, for fun. That was Dominique Rizzo of Celtica French Bakery in Lakeview. Broad traditions often bring up more questions than answers. For instance, how did the king cake get its famous plastic baby? How do people celebrate carnival outside of New Orleans? These are just some of the questions that author and songwriter Jeanette Downing shares for the very youngest Louisianians in her award-winning books. Jeanette has earned many nicknames over her stunning career, from the Pied Piper of Louisiana music traditions to the musical ambassador to children. When Jeanette and I last spoke in 2019, she had some exciting news to share, the kind of news that, well, just makes you want to sing along. That's right. I have my 11th record just is coming out. 11th record? Oh, yes. my goodness. And it's called Swamp Romp, a Louisiana dance party for children. It's the first record I've done with my husband. Uh, he's a three-time Grammy Award winner, uh, Scott Billington. And I have a duet with Irma Thomas on the <gasps> record. I have a duet with James Singleton. He's played. Uh, I know. It, it's just been fantastic. And Joelle Savoy of the Savoy Family Band. And they're the Dukes of Dixieland, the Dirty Dozen Brass Band is on there. Um, Rebirth Brass Band is on there. It, and Doug Belote. You know, it's like the who's who of Louisiana music. And I'm just so honored that they came out and played on this record. Oh, my 
goodness, this must be like the dream of a lifetime for you. It really is. It's like my whole career came full circle. And, and to have my first record with Scott, is uh, he produced it. And um, it's just been ama- an amazing journey. Jeanette, I am so tickled to have you back here on Louisiana Eats because you are one of my favorite, favorite authors. Your work is always so food-centric. So let's get started with who got the baby in the king cake. What inspired you to write this book? Tell me how you come up with the concept. Well, this one, I just thought, you know, I always think about children. They always ask why and how did that happen, you know. So who got the baby in the king thing? That's a that's a colloquialism that we say all the time. But when you go other places, they don't know what are you talking about? Is there a baby <laughs> in a king cake? Why would you put a baby in a cake? So I thought I have to explain to children what is, why do we have a king cake baby? And why do we? Well, it's a good luck symbol, and whoever finds the little plastic baby, it's it's a little tiny thing, whoever finds their baby in their piece of king cake has to host the next party, the next king cake party. And that's just a way for New Orleanians to get around and have more parties, you know? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, but before we continue the discussion, I mean, my goodness, this is almost like a cookbook because you explain the whole process of how to make the king cake. Let's hear the song. That sounds great. Who got the baby in the king cake? Did she find the baby in the king cake? Did he get the baby in the king cake? No, you got the baby in the king cake. What happens when you get the baby? You have to give the next party. Invite all your friends and your family to eat king cake and be merry. Let's party. It's Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. I love who got the baby in the king cake. You know, when I was little, I always heard tales of people swallowing the baby so they wouldn't have to bring a cake. Wouldn't that be a disturbing thing? Well, that is not good. That is not good. (laughs) That is highly not recommended. When they used to put uh, pecans in there or a pea, uh, or a or bean. A bean. At one time, it was a gold fava bean, I've heard. That's true. And then they, they came up with the little plastic king cake baby. And now they come in all different colors, which is really fun. Uh, and you can have more than one king cake baby because we, we love to party. So more people have the king cake baby, the more parties we have. <laughs> you never have enough king cake babies, I think. Your illustrations are so much fun. Who's responsible for them? I illustrated that one, yeah. I illustrate some of my books, not all of them, but this one is. Um, And I use cut paper collage, which is really fun. And I like to use cut paper collage because it's something that children have in their classrooms or at home. And they just cut the shapes and glue and make three-dimensional images out of them. What exactly is this story about, Johnette? Well, you know, in Louisiana, we have not one type of Mardi Gras, but two types of Mardi Gras. We have the Mardi Gras in New Orleans area with all the floats, but there's also a rural Mardi Gras out in the Cajun Prairie, and it's Cure de Mardi Gras. 
And they don't have floats per se. What they do is they ride around on horseback and they go from each house begging for ingredients to make a communal gumbo. And at the end of the chicken run, they call it, um, they have a big party and everyone eats gumbo. Well, that brave chicken on the chase. How does he warn everybody about the revelers on the way with the intent of the gumbo pot? He will. He sings out, mumbo jumbo, stay out of the gumbo. Mumbo jumbo, stay out of the gumbo. Does he succeed? <laughs> he does. And that's a repeated refrain throughout the whole book. He does. He warns them all. And at the end of the book, the Cajun revelers, there are no animals to go in the gumbo. And they have to eat a delicious pot. A gumbo serbs. Gumbo serbs. <laughs> well, you know, I am looking through the book, and it's kind of hilarious because that chicken, that cheeky chicken, he's warning the shrimp. He's warning the pigs. Who all does he reach in the nick of time? It's a duck, a goose, pigs, cows, everybody. All the shrimp, shrimp oysters, oysters, even yeah. the oysters. He had to sing to them on the oyster beds. That's right, and the crawfish. <laughs> <laughs> and it, the book is illustrated by um, Jennifer Lindsley, and she's from Thibodeau, Louisiana. So she she did a great job of making that that little chicken look really fun, and and all the animals, and and all the masking because they do masking there too, but it's different from our masking in New Orleans. So they end up with a gumbo zerbs, which That's of right. course is. That green gumbo that's really a Creole tradition. So this must have been news for those Cajun folks. That's right. They had to learn about our great vegetarian gumbo here in New Orleans. And interestingly, (laughs) this was your first vegetarian story in essence. That's true. And also it's funny because I'm moving toward more of a plant-based diet, about 90%. And that's really tough for a person from New Orleans. It is. (laughs) But I do about 90% plants. So I thought, and I've had many parents say, well, we love your books. Like if they're a vegetarian family, they say, we love your books, but they're all about meat eating. You know, have you ever had a thought about doing a vegetarian book? And I said, ah. So that's perfect. This is it. Gumbo Zerbs. Well, do you know what I really love about your books is that you tell our story authentically and accurately to all of those poor children who don't get to live in New Orleans. <laughs> I, I bet you have some stories about um, expats in various parts of the world who make sure they're raising little New Orleanians with your help. That's true. People tell me, oh, your book is going to Minnesota. It's going to France. I had a, l- a little family uh, from France, and they lived here in New Orleans for a while, and they came to all of my shows. And then they moved back to France, and now they send me pictures of their kids you know, holding my books and singing those songs. It's really sweet. And you're as international as your books are. You go everywhere with them. Yeah, I've been fortunate, you know, because everyone loves Louisiana culture. So I've performed on five continents. And uh, they want my music, uh, my Louisiana heritage, you know, the music for, um, and the books that all represent Louisiana culture. They must not always understand the language. How do you manage that? Yeah, well, like you know, food is the <laughs> best language, and they certainly understand that. Grab your brother and your sister, too. Ow. Show your partner what you can do. Ow. We'll be dancing the whole night through. Swamp, romp, swamp, romp. Swamp, Johnette Downing, multi-award-winning musician and children's book author, speaking with us in 2019. Her album, Swamp Romp, is available from her website, 
JohnetteDowning.com and everywhere good tunes are sold. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where we have 10 years of Louisiana Eats editions available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. If you like our show, please rate it on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, and from D'Agostino Pasta. Handcrafted in Louisiana from semolina wheat and air-dried over rods in wooden cellars, D'Agostino Pasta is made just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerleau and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris, and producer Blake Longlinay. And to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladu. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.